Well, we need to get started, and um, we're in uh, Judges chapter 16. We're going to hopefully finish that up, and then I want to approach the last five chapters and, and give you an over, a short overview of them as we get ready to go into them. But we're going to finish up with uh, Judges 16. We're talking about Samson, and we dealt with Del- Delilah. We are yet to, to deal with the final portion of that chapter which is where Samson um, uh, avenges uh, his, uh, um, his uh, suffering, uh, and God strengthens his hands one more time to do that. So we're going to be picking it up in Judges chapter 16, verse 23. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, which is, uh, was it 31 or 30, I guess 31? And then uh, we'll unpack that. We'll unpack... Uh, uh, make some comments about Samson's, what we can learn from Samson, what we can apply to our lives from Samson. And then, uh, uh, time permitting, we'll get into uh, chapter 17, and we'll do an overview of, uh, of that chapter, uh, and then start digging into it. So why don't we start with a word of prayer. Um, we're going to just thank God for, uh, Lord, we want to thank you for, for bringing uh, Michael back, and uh, we know that... Uh, uh, he's still struggling, so we just pray you would uh, help the uh, doctors to be able to help him and uh, give him uh, some uh, relief from uh, the problems he's dealing with. <clears throat> we pray for Gary and pray that he would continue to heal his body. We thank you that uh, they've been able to identify what the problem was and, and, and correct it. And we just pray that you'd strengthen him. Pray for John as he is uh, uh, still recovering. Uh, from his uh, cancer and from the uh, chemotherapy and the radiation. Pray that you'd help him, Father, as well. Strengthen him. We again thank you for the way that you've continued to bless in our lives, and we just ask now that you would guide and direct each of us as we seek to um, as we seek to follow you. Open our eyes to what you have for us today in uh, Judges uh, as we study the, the life and, and the death of, of Samuel. Or Samson, excuse me. And Father, we just pray that you'd guide and direct us now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 16, verse 23. We'll go Denny's table, Dan's table, Gary's table, and our table. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And Samson said to the lad, Tell him by the hand. Let me feel the pillars which support the temples so that I can lean on them. And the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. There was there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. <coughs> then Samson prayed to the Lord, Father, Lord, remember me. Remember me, please. God strengthen me just once more. Let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached forth the two 
temple stood, bracing himself and himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple, and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died and went while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Okay. Let's go back and just take this up. We've got um, interesting, this is not unusual, uh, when, a, uh, when a nation uh, conquers an enemy, to, uh, to want to make sport of that enemy. And uh, Samson has been uh, a thorn in the flesh uh, of, of the Philistines for, uh, I guess, about 20 years. And um, he is, uh, as you know, in last week we talked about the fact he'd been captured. He finally admitted uh, the, the final thing that kind of emphasized, at least from an outward appearance, why he had the strength that he did that God had granted him the strength because of his hair and it was cut and you remember that in verse 22 it says but the hair in his head began to grow again after it had been shaved and uh, remember Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth until death so the fact that his hair is now starting to grow back is uh, an indicator uh, that that God is going to uh, perhaps restore his strength and uh, so uh, Samson is brought out and made sport of you say well how do you perform when you're blind well he wasn't singing he wasn't a rock star you know he, he wasn't a, a thespian he, he was uh, basically they were they were making sport of his inability to see and so um, scholars speculate that there might have been an obstacle course for him to try to go through or whatever. And it was funny for uh, the people to watch and see this man who had been um, a, uh, just a real royal pain to them over those years was now brought low. And the irony of it is, again, Samson's biggest problem was the lust of the eyes, and those eyes are gone. You know, and so that they continue to make sport of that. It's interesting that they they choose the the god Dagon. Dagon is an interesting choice for Philistines because, uh, again, most nations uh, have their god, and that's their god. And and yet the Philistines have traveled uh, originally up in the Adriatic Sea, uh, have now come down. Uh, in, in a variety of different ways and ended up along the coast of, of, uh, of the, the Promised Land or the, and around Gaza and in that general area. And they have uh, chosen uh, to worship a god that is a local god. Dagon is a local god. It's not their god from where they came from, which is kind of unusual and yet not necessarily all that unusual when you think about it. Because remember, gods from many uh, nations believed that the gods were located in specific areas and that was their territory. And other than that, they didn't travel. It was one of the unique things about Yahweh was that Yahweh did. Where did they meet Yahweh? 
Where, where was the law given? Sinai. Where was Sinai? Yeah. 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 In, 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 uh, not in the, in the promised land. And so Yahweh travels with them and, and sets up shop, if you will, in, in a land which is highly unusual. Uh, but Dagon is a god that is uh, the patron deity of the area where the, where the Philistines were. In fact, there are others around there. Remember, I've mentioned to you uh, there's a, uh, some tablets that are called U, uh, from a, a, a nation called Ugarit. And the Ugaritic ta- tablets talk about, um, about Dagon and about uh, the son of Dagon. And uh, in the Old Testament, Dagon is always associated with the Philistines. We see it here. We see it again in 1 Samuel chapter 5 where they capture the ark and the ark is brought into the temple of Dagon. Remember that story? Yeah. And uh, the, the, you know, the next day they come in and Dagon is laid low in front of the altar and, and indicating that he is worshiping Yahweh. And, and, of course, the Philistines prop their god back up. And the next day they come in and Dagon's hands have been removed um, you know they, they and he is again prostrate uh, at the the feet of Yahweh's uh, ark. Uh, so Dagon is an is an ongoing uh, god of the area that apparently seduces, let's say, for lack of a better term, uh, the Philistines into worshiping him. Yet Dagon, interestingly enough, is the god of of uh, the grain. And sometimes considered the god of storms, which is interesting because that's often um, what uh, uh, Baal is known as. In fact, in some in some areas in that Middle East area, uh, Dagon is considered the father of of um, of Baal, or at least one of the Baals. Remember, there are multiple Baals, and uh, so uh, what is what did. What did Samson attack? What was the what was the area of the attack on the Philistines besides killing Philistines? What else did he do? He destroyed destroys the fields and their grains. Who 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 was the the god of grain? Dagon. Dagon won the won the battle according to the Philistines. He to, he they triumphed over. So of course they're taking him to Dagon's <laughs> temple, and of course they're going to celebrate because Dagon won the day. And so that's the that's the story of, and that's why Dagon is important. It's interesting again that it's 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 really unusual that. Um, that again, that a, a nation uh, defeats another in battle, and that reflects the superiority of their god. Their victor is their, their their god is the victor over the other gods, and so they they usually continue to worship that god. It's unusual that that the Philistines chose to go with Dagon. Interestingly enough, it's also unfortunate. But what is it that Israel team seems to keep doing? Neglecting their god. And going to worshiping others, or uh, what's it called, synecrity, where they bring in they bring in gods or parts of other uh, religions and blend it into theirs. And so they will continue to worship uh, Yahweh, but they become polytheistic at times. 
And uh, it's so that that's an, an unfortunate thing because, again, that's what God gets upset with him for, right? One of the last things that's interesting about uh, this this first part of, of this ending of Samson is the fact that it isn't Israel that's the problem. It's Samson. And again, I point out to you that every other judge seems to raise up an army that we have much information about, and this is the one that doesn't. And so the you know the Israelites are pretty well cowered, uh, and and not paying attention, and not uh, and and not trying to irritate or aggravate the Philistines. But that's not the case with with, uh, with Samson. All right, so he's brought out to entertain. We've talked about that a little bit. Notice the prayer that he says, "O sovereign Lord." In verse 28, uh, that's really what that is, is uh, Adonai uh, Yahweh. It's uh, uh, Lord uh, Yahweh. Yahweh is, again, the covenant name. Lord is cap- all capitalized. So it's we know that he is now calling him, previously at times, he refers to God as Elohim. But he calls him um, he calls him Yahweh at this particular point. And he says, remember... He says, O oh, Sovereign Lord, remember me. And then he says, O oh God, which would be O oh, oh Elohim. Please strengthen me just once more and let me not, with one blow get revenge on the Philistines because of all that they've done for, against Israel, right? Isn't that what it says? What's it say? Revenge. 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 And, and, and revenge against what? Against him for his eyes. Is that, you know, I I realize that God, you know, God says in the law, it says an eye for an eye. Is this overkill? Just a bit. Is this really what, is this really God's plan? I don't know, but God uses it. God uses it to bring about his plan, doesn't he? Yeah. So it, it just seems kind of interesting. This seems like it's a last-ditch effort. You know, okay, Lord, just one more time. I need to, you know. And, and it isn't that he's trying to, uh, to, uh, to take care of a national emergency. It's all about him. It's all about me, Lord. It's not about you. I want revenge for my eyes. It, I, I, I look at this, and, and I see what, what I see is I see a, a self-centered person. It's all about me, and the me, you know, and it's been that way throughout the story. Remember, everything he does is because they did it to me, and so I'm going to do it back to them, which is, always works out well, right? You ever noticed any battles, any uh, any peace ever been taken care of by doing this? Does it work out well? You know what, what happened to the Allies in World War One? We make this huge. Uh, peace with Germany and then what do we do? We punish them like you would not believe. We make it virtually impossible for them to survive as a country and what happens? World War II happens. Hitler happens. Yeah. So, you know, there's always there's always repercussions when, when you are... What happened at the end of World War II when we won uh, against the Japanese... 
We helped them. We, 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 showed, we showed incredible, I don't know if we did this on purpose or not, but we showed incredible mercy to them. We helped them rebuild their, their infrastructure. We did a lot of things. Have they, have, they ever, have they ever attacked us again? Have they ever caused, I mean, other than economically? <laughs> yeah, they came up with some interesting moves, right? All right. So it's it's interesting again that that he does not worry about Yahweh's name. He doesn't worry about Yahweh's reputation. He doesn't worry about what's going on with his nation. All he's worried about is himself. And I find it fascinating that God chooses to go. You know what? Okay, I'll give it to you one more time. Here's my strength. So my my takeaway of that is that is that God, God's plan was to punish the Philistines for the way that they have been treating Israel. And so it works into God's plan. So God says, sure, why not? Now, what are the, the and we know that the result of that is that Samson dies. He kills at least, I'm guessing, at least 3,000, perhaps more. In fact, as I was reading about their temples, their temples are made, uh, those pillars were not stone, they were made out of wood. Yeah, probably cedar. They probably came from Lebanon because that area of Palestine doesn't grow big trees. For whatever reason, cedars are, are one of the things that are found in, uh, in, in the area of Lebanon, and, and Lebanon was known for, for its cedars. In fact, much of the, the wood that was used in the construction of the temple in Solomon's time is made out of cedar cedar of Lebanon so uh, he manages to get a hold of these pillars and the the Hebrew indicates that somehow or other he twisted them I don't know if he pushed them over twisted them but whatever it was it was dis- dislodged the ceiling and the ceiling crashes in there's 3,000 people on top of the of the uh, structure but there's also a whole host of people inside we're not told how many we know there are at least the five leaders of the Philistines and uh, and so we have we have uh, Samson winning uh, killing more people in his death than he did during his lifetime. Now, what I would say is there are a couple of things I take away from this. Samson is uh, is not the kind of guy that we look to as an example on how to treat women. He's just not. Uh, and contrary to some of the rhetoric we hear today, this is not the norm for uh, biblical patricism. Uh, nor is it the picture of male-female relationships that God intended, in my, in my opinion. And so uh, we don't find him, we find him as a negative, a negative example versus a positive example. Another thing I find is the fact that uh, uh, those that are called into leadership uh, are tempted to operate on their own senses rather than on the principles that God lays down in his word. I've, I've often filled out questionnaires from churches that have asked, what is your greatest strengths? And the later say, what are your greatest weaknesses? And I, I tend to tell them that my greatest strengths are my greatest weaknesses because it is... The strength that I have, that I, I rely on versus relying on God. 
And so often that's what causes me the problems is that I start to rely on my own strength, my own gifts and, and talents that I have versus going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your direction in spite of these talents you've given me, these abilities you've given me. And uh, so I just warn you that in leadership positions, remember, the principle is to rely on God, to seek his face and know his will, regardless of your situation, regardless of whether it's a, a spiritual leadership or a physical leadership in business or, or in your home. Um, remember that, that God is the one that should be directing our, our, our path. So, uh, and then thirdly, I would just say that, um, that when we are called into some sort of leadership position in a church or in divine service, we need to remember to focus our energies on what God's agenda is versus on our agenda. Too often we get there focusing on God's agenda, but once there we get sidetracked with personal you know, vendettas and personal things that we want to do and take care of and right certain wrongs. It may be that it isn't God's plan for this point in time in our lives. So I would say that uh, the last thing I would say, the positive outcome of Samson's life is simply this, the fact that God uses him in spite of himself, not because of himself. Doesn't yeah. he also just, to me, what I get out of that is because yeah. I need this, is that uh, he doesn't give up. He, he's, he goes, for 20 years he does everything wrong, and then at the end he says, okay, fine, I'll do that again because I can use it for my well. But yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a... He's faithful to him, the Lord does. Yeah, there, there's a certain interesting aspect of that because, you know, we're talking about probably one of the most narcissistic persons in the Bible, you know, that we, we listen. I mean, it's all about him. Everything, everything he does is about him. It's not about advancing God's agenda. It's always about his agenda. Well, that's true. I was just going to say, it's the lack of leadership with the Israelites. Yes. That, uh, yeah, but for the whole. And you, you think about, even though he was ordained and he was raised up, he still had all these choices. And unfortunately, because there was not strong leadership back then, including his father, yeah. he just became full of himself at times. Yeah. No, I know you've never done. I've, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you know, you, you, that happens when you know whether it's a, you know uh, how you were raised or certain skill set you might have, and you get confident over that skill set on whatever it is, and um, sometimes you believe, yes, God for you know gave me this, but the problem is I'm the one making these good or bad. Yeah. It's nothing about God. It's about what I'm going to do with the skill set and how I'm going to, you know. How can I use that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or for me. Yeah. You know, and I'll give God the glory after I win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Make sure I win. You know, it, 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 you know, his glory will be a footnote. You know, yeah. just, just a footnote. I yeah. did this. God was happy. And, and it's done, you know, very softly, very quietly. You know, we don't want to call a lot of attention to that. What, what I find is, in thinking about what Rick mentioned here, you know, in spite of, of Samson's wrong motives, God uses Samson to prove that it's not Dagon, but Yahweh that's truly the God of, in this instance. 
And it's only God's grace that makes something positive come out of what I think is a pretty crappy life that, that Samson has. And in spite of everything Samson does, God exercises uh, his will, his ethical will, in spite of, of Samson's immoral will uh, that, uh, you know, Samson does it his way. God says, fine, I'll use that I'll, to, to bring about my purposes, which I find, I, I think I find it happy and, and I'm glad, but boy, it, it does kind of make you wonder how often do I screw up and God says, you know what, I can even use your screw-ups, right. you know, to bring about my glory. You think of the, the people, the Israelites at that point, here they are accepting pagan worshiping of whatever that is. Maybe because their God could party better than the Israel. <laughs> you know, sin was allowed in the camp. Yeah. And leadership, yeah, okay, we'll just, you know, what can we do? Samson's going to deliver us. You know, so there was no army raised up, nothing like yeah, no. past. Yeah. And, but they were okay with status quo. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. My, my, uh, my, my thoughts for us and how we apply this to ourselves would include things like, you know, the danger of self-interest. Um, you know, this is pretty much Samson... His spiritual apathy is truly, one writer says, is truly stupefying. <laughs> spiritual apathy concerning one's calling can lead to open rebellion. Think about that. When you're ap- apathetic about the calling that God has given you, whatever that calling might be in your life, it can lead to open rebellion. And when <laughs> self-interest serves, the mo- serves as the motivating factor in one's life, Eventually, you're going to find that disaster comes. I think it's interesting that sexual purity was never a major concern in Samson's life. And I think that it points out that often we we struggle with, with sexual purity ourselves. You know, it's impossible to commit adultery without thought, without intent, without motive, and without disobeying God. Sexual sin doesn't just happen. It's a conscious decision to make that you make every time you do it. Whether it's the click of a button to go visit a porn site or whether it's to talk to a, a, a webcam girl or whether it's to you know visit uh, uh, a prostitute, or whether it's to have a sexual relationship with someone other than who you're married to. It, it's choice. It just doesn't happen. But how do we overcome that? How do we overcome things that become habits? It's our foundation. We got to Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God. Yeah, and I would. I Because I'm busy, I've got all the excuses. I'm probably the best one with excuses of why I can't. 
um, but it's God's given us the written word, and He's right with us the whole way. We just shut ourselves off sometimes because of, of things that get in the way. I think I think for me, I, I think one of the things that I've found over over my life is that the way that we get close to God is probably different for each of us. Some of us have a particular path that we travel, whether it's uh, scriptural, you know, reading the scripture uh, by ourselves, uh, maybe it's studying in a group, maybe it's uh, uh, spending some alone time out in, you know, in nature, uh, maybe it's spending time with friends, um, for me, one of the ways that I get connected to God, and I find that when I'm not doing this, it's interesting how little I get connected to God and how easy it is for me to drift, and that is if I don't spend time worshiping Him, and for me, the worship is uh, praise, and, uh, praise and worship music, uh, even some of the old hymns. Uh, that, I guess it's because of my background, and maybe it's because of where my talents were for years was that in music is that that is where I connect to God. My wife connects to God through through music, but also through gardening. She she's out in the garden and she's busy praying and connecting to God and doing things that are just you know for her. And so I think that one of the things we do is we we stop going to where we know that we're going to find God. We stop doing whatever it is. Maybe we get busy, you know. I find that if I spend time in worship, that I'm more inclined to want to read His Word for me. Now, it might be different for other people. I'm not saying, you know, and you've got to figure out what it is for you, how that works in your life. But there are going to be, there are going to be triggers and, and, uh, that are positive and triggers that are negative. And so, like Romans 12, 2 says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Spend time with God. And when I don't spend time with God, it is really apparent in my life. I become a major screw-up. So, as, as we end this, I just want to say this. In the end, God can be counted on to vindicate His name and to demonstrate that all those things that, hum, that humanity in whatever era worship and venerate are not God's, that He alone is God. That's what he does here with Dagon and with, with Samson when he brings down the house. All right. Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to say yeah. that our actions are, are a lot based on our thoughts. So if yeah. we have good thoughts and, 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 and uh, read the Bible and get closer to God, uh, our actions will be more as to God wants us. If we have evil thoughts... In, in our heart, in our mind, that we are more apt to do evil things, bad things. You're absolutely right. And what, why is that? Because the more you spend time with someone, the more you become like them. Yep. yep. I've told you the story. I'll tell it again. Because, you know, it, it's worth repeating. Not really, but it makes sense to me. I came home from school one year uh, uh, from Bob Jones, and, and I was singing a solo in our, in our church. And I had this older gentleman come up to me and say, to me, he says, you study with Bill McCauley, don't you? I go, yeah, as a matter of fact, Dr. McCauley is my 
my vocal uh, teacher, my, my instructor, my coach. <clears throat> he says, I can tell. He says, I said, well, why is that, sir? He says, because, well, first of all, he's my son. And when I hear you singing, I hear him. <laughs> why did I sound like Bill McCauley? So I spent a lot of time with Bill working on music and working on how to pr produce tones and, and how to shape words and how to shape thoughts and processes in when, I, when I was singing. And, and, I, and my mannerisms took on Bill's mannerisms, you know. And, and Bill's dad, who had joined our church, and I didn't know that when I came, you know, during the time I was a boy at school, he says, you, you sound just like Bill. It rubs off. And the time that you spend with God will rub off on you. And, and there's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus that talks about that very thing. Remember, Moses goes up to spend time with, with God on Mount Sinai. And when he comes down, what happens? His face is glowing. He's taken on the, the, the presence of God. It's a reflection. And what happens? All the people, oh, man, it's too bright. You know, I can't handle it. You know, you want him to veil himself. Why? Because he took on, he took on the attributes. He took on the, 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 the aura. He took on the, the, the types of attitudes that God had. You want to be like, you, you want to get close to God? Spend time with him. All right. All right, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about chapter 17 with the time we have remaining. We're not going to get all the way through it, and that's okay. I didn't plan on it. Um, there's a, uh, a well-known Irish poet named Yeats who in one of his poems called The Second Coming talks about the fact that, th that things fall apart and the center cannot hold. And that's exactly what's happening here in the closing chapters of Judges as so we find out the center cannot hold. Up until this time, for the first 16 chapters of Judges, we have seen uh, the stories of, the, of Israel failing in general. And then in specific, we've seen the judges that God has raised up in order to help redeem or deliver his people from the bondage that they were involved with with the nations. In these last five ch uh, chapters, 17 through 21, we're going to look at it from a different perspective. This time, we're going to look at it from the perspective of the people. We're going to look at, at some major areas. We're going to look at things, how they fell apart in the home, how they fell apart in ministry, and how they fell apart in society. These are going to be the three major things they're going to be looking at. So we're not going to be dealing with, with deliverers. We're going to be dealing with the consequences of there being no king, being no leader. Now, when they say that there is no, there was no, uh, in those days, uh, Israel had no king and every did, everyone did right, did that which was right in his own eyes or did what he saw was fit. The implication is not only just a physical king, but what else? What other kind of king? What, who was supposed to be the king of Israel? God. So who is not, at least as far as the Israelites are concerned, on the throne of the nation? God was not on the throne. God was not in control. God, they were not letting God rule. And the result of that is 
absolute destruction almost of the entire nation. But at certain times, we're going to, we're going to read several things in these last five chapters. In these chapters, we're going to look at the fact that, um, that when there is no God, when they are not worshiping God and following God's rules and God's laws, God's way of life, God's Torah, that everyone does that which is right in their own eyes because they ignore the rule of God. Now, later on, they're going to ignore the rule of the king, too, that when they end up having a physical king. But in the beginning, they're going to try to, they're going to say, oh, this is great, we have a king. Then they're going to repent of it a little later in years to come, as if we were to spend a little more time studying Samuel and, and uh, the kings and, uh, and chronicles. All right, so uh, what I'd like to do... Um, is, um, well, I'll give you a couple other things just in general over these next five chapters, some thoughts, and then I'm going to, I'd like to do is I'd like to read the Judges uh, 17. Probably could read all the way through Judges 18, but we won't. We'll just, we'll start with Judges 17. And then I'm going to take you to another passage and see some comparisons. So, first of all, the moral failure of both the Levites and the tribal leaders enforced the, the, the significance of the refrain, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Because the Levites fail, the tribal leaders fail, and these two sources of national leadership uh, help to uh, encourage the downward spiral already portrayed in this book. Their dereliction of duty not only stresses the complete failure of Israel to adhere to uh, to the theocracy that, that God has established, but specifically the covenant that God has established. And perversion in relationship with God represented by the idolatry leaves no other relationship uh, who whole either. It doesn't matter whether it's between individuals, between groups, of individuals between races or between nations, the fact that you go down this, the, the, the path to idolatry means that every other relationship in your life is affected. Think about it today. What is it that we place above God in our lives? What is first and foremost? If it's not God, it's something. And if something takes the place of God as first in your life, that is your idol. Whether it's your job, your family, your cottage, your vacation condo, your boat. My wife told me recently that she just finally discovered what she believes is to be our, our next ministry. She thinks that we need to minister to boat people. And she wants us to buy a boat and to do boat and to do services out on the boat on the lake. I know there is. I told her that. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so far, I, I've not been convinced that that's God's plan because I don't know that I want to buy a boat. But anyhow, she says, well, you know, it'd be really good. <laughs> so it will affect how we respond to people. What is it that becomes the idol of our lives? What is it that takes God's place as first in our lives? And the result of that is you can see how that's going to affect every other relationship you have. It doesn't matter what it is. If your job is first, it's going to affect your family. If your family's first, it's going to affect your job. I can remember I had uh, 
when I was first married, I was working in the family business. And I became uh, goal-oriented that I was going to be the best at what we did. And I was going to go after the largest accounts in the Detroit area, and I was going to make a name for our company and specifically for myself. And I did that to the point of almost driving my wife away from me because I was so focused on it, I wasn't focused on anything else. Church, family, didn't matter. Nothing, nothing came first other than business. And I almost lost my, my wife as a result of that. So I, I know from personal experience, I know, what it can hit, I know what it can do to your life. So we're going to look at, again, we're going to look at Judges chapter 17. Just get started. We're going to, uh, we're going to read the verses. I think I left off with me, with me and Tom, and then we'll go over around the room again until we finish uh, chapter 17. So now, a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about uh, which I heard you utter a curse. I have the silver with me. I took it. And then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. All right, read two verses. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Two verse Let's three. See. Uh, then he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I consecrate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make an idol of cast metal. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silver, who made them into an image and the idol, and they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an infant and some idols, and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man in Bethlehem in the field, who found him to and the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place, and he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. Micah asked him, Where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem, Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, Go with me and be my father. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the, the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since the Levite has become my priest. All right, we're going to read over in chapter uh, 18, we're going to find that uh, Dan, the tribe of Dan, decides that they're going to uh, relocate. They don't like the place that they're at in the land where God assigned them their territory. So they decide they're going to go someplace else. And then in, in the process of doing that, they come upon Micah's uh, priest and his idols, and they steal his idols, take the priest, and they go up to the northern part of Israel and it reestablished themselves up there in the northern part of Israel. That's, that's what happens. Now, just for sake of argument, let's take a look at 
and let's see what God has to say as to what you're supposed to do. Let's see. I want to pick up. uh, Here we go. All right. This is in Deuteronomy. If you want to check it out, check out Deuteronomy chapter 12 with me, and I'll read it. Deuteronomy 12, starting in verse 1. These are the decrees and the laws you must, careful, you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, Yahweh, uh, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess, as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are disposing worship their gods. Break down their idols, their altars, and smash their sacred stones and burn their asterisk poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all of your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts that you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of Yahweh your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Yahweh your God has blessed you. You are not to do as they do, as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance of the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as his dwelling place for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your special gifts and all the choice possessions you have vowed to Yahweh. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only in the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns, and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were a gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you. Both ceremonially clean, unclean, and clean may eat of it. But you must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. You must not eat uh, in your own towns the tithes of your grains and the new wine and olive oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks, or whatever you have vowed to give, or your freewill offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God in the place the Lord your God will choose. You and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns. And you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. But be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territories as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I, will, I would like some meat, you may eat as much as you like as you want. If the place uh, where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter the animals from the herds and the flocks, 
the Lord has given you. As I have commanded you, in your own towns you may eat as much as of them as you want. Eat them in, as you would a gazelle or deer. Both ceremonially unclean and clean may eat. But be sure you do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life, and you must not eat the life with the, the meat. You must not eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will do, be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Make your, make, uh, but take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both meat and blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, and you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all the regulations I have given you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of Yahweh your God. And Yahweh your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispose. But when you have driven them out and settled in the land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because uh, in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire, as sacrifices to their gods. See that you do all I command you and do not add or take away from it. How are they doing in chapter 17 of Judges? Yeah. Are they are they are they following any of the commands of this chapter? Not a one. We, we, we struggle with, you know, God's giving you a clear plan. This is what you're supposed to do. And we're going, yeah, not so much. I'll do whatever I want. Because what I have to do is more important than what God has, has for me to do. Do you notice the whole issue about blood? Pour out the blood, don't, don't drink it. Why is that? Because there's life in blood. Yeah. Does it actually point towards Jesus? Well, uh, perhaps, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. But the blood, the the issue of the blood becomes a matter of the fact that that's where the life is. And also many of the pagan worships, worship experiences involve the drinking of blood. If you remember, what are what is the uh, one of the few rules and regulations that the the church in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council give to the Gentiles that they are not to do? That's one of them, and the other one is don't drink the blood. 
it's uh, from uh, Acts, uh, among other things, Acts 15. You could also, present day, relate that to the abortion issue, too. Well, the burning, it's interesting. I, I made this observation a number of years ago, and I got a lot of grief from certain s sectors of society. When we talk about the burning of children, which is what many of the Canaanites did, they sacrificed their children to idols, and specifically Molech was one of them that they would uh, sacrifice their, their firstborn to. Uh, they would burn them in the fire. Do you know one of the ways that you abort children? It's not the only way that they do it, but one of the ways they do it is with a saline solution. You know what happens when you use a saline solution on, an, on a newborn? You burn them. Chemically burn them. So basically, we're, we're doing exactly what the Canaanites did. Yeah. yeah, I got in trouble with certain circles when I mentioned that. Didn't appreciate didn't appreciate my comments. Well, this is, the, this is the pagan way of doing it. What can I tell you? I like Chardina, though. What's that? Chardina. I don't know what that is. Polish. Oh, blood, blood, so yeah, I like, yeah, I do too, yeah. As a, as a kid, I, I grew up on, I didn't remember what it was called. It was Chardina. Chardina, which is blood sausage. Take the drippings of... Make soup out of it. Make soup, yeah. Yeah, blood soup. It's good. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Doesn't sound good, but no. tastes okay. All right, so uh, we're we're at kind of at the end of the of our time here. I just wanted to point out to you: this is what you're going to see in, in in Deuteronomy 12 verses Judges 17 and 18 and following. Is you're going to find the everything that they were told not to do, they did. They made idols. They created places of worship other than where God told them to make it. They decided they weren't going to take the land that they wanted. Dan decides they're going to go someplace else. Uh, why? Because, well, and they're going to ask a guy who is a Levite, and, they, and apparently the, the nation is not taking care of the Levites because this Levite's looking for a job. By the way, he also ends up becoming a, very much a mercenary. He sells himself out for whoever will give him the most money. Yeah, it, it says young Levite, and you have to be 30 years old to be a at least 30 to be a priest. Yes, to be a priest, yeah, yeah. In order to serve in the temple, you had to be at least 30. And then you're, you're done by, was it 50 or something like that? You only have a certain number of years. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. All right, good. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go. Father, thank you for uh, guiding and directing our lives. We realize that so often... We put everything in front of who you are and what you are, and we, t we take care of you, if at all, as second, third, fourth class. It's not real, you're not really often real high on our list, and for that we ask for your forgiveness. Help us to realize that uh, you need to be first and foremost in our lives, and when that happens, that uh, many of the problems that we encounter uh, will be solved by simply making sure that you are uh, the one that we worship and you are the one that we serve. We pray that you will help us this day to, um, to serve you with all of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we need to get started. And uh, we're in uh, Judges chapter 16. We're going to hopefully finish that up. And then I want to approach the last five chapters <clears throat> 
and, and give you an over, a short overview of them as we get ready to go into them. But we're going to finish up with uh, Judges 16. We're talking about Samson, and we dealt with Del- Delilah. We are yet to, to deal with the final portion of that chapter, which is where Samson uh, uh, avenges uh, his, uh, um, his uh, suffering, uh, and God strengthens his hands one more time to do that. So we're going to be picking it up in Judges chapter 16, verse 23. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, which is, uh, was it 31 or 30, I guess 31. And then uh, we'll unpack that. We'll unpack, uh, uh, make some comments about Samson's, what we can learn from Samson, what we can apply to our lives from Samson. And then, uh, uh, time permitting, we'll get into uh, chapter 17 and we'll do an overview of, um, of that chapter um, and then start digging into it. So why don't we start with a word of prayer. Um, we're going to just thank God for, uh, Lord, we want to thank you for, for bringing uh, Michael back. And uh, we know that uh, uh, he's still struggling, so we just pray you would uh, help the uh, doctors to be able to help him and uh, give him uh, some uh, relief from uh, the problems he's dealing with. We pray for Gary and pray that you would continue to heal his body. We thank you that uh, they've been able to identify what the problem was and, and, and correct it. And we just pray that you'd strengthen him. Pray for John as he is uh, uh, still recovering uh, from his uh, cancer and from the uh, chemotherapy and the radiation. Pray that you'd help him, Father, as well. Strengthen him. We again thank you for the way that you've continued to bless in our lives, and we just ask now that you would guide and direct each of us as we seek to um, as we seek to follow you. Open our eyes to what you have for us today in uh, Judges, uh, as we study the the life and and the death of, of Samuel or Samson, excuse me. And Father, we just pray that you'd guide and direct us now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick it up in chapter. 16, verse 23, we'll go Denny's table, Dan's table, Gary's table, and our table. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer great sacrifices to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad, who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temples so that I can lean on them. And the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. There was, there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. <clears throat> then Samson prayed to the Lord, Father, Lord, remember me. Remember me, please. God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached forth the two separate pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, 
Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died and went while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Edipal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Okay. Let's go back and just take this up. We've got uh, interesting, this is not unusual, uh, when, a, uh, when a nation uh, conquers an enemy to, uh, to want to make sport of that enemy. And uh, Samson has been uh, a thorn in the flesh uh, of the Philistines for, I guess, about 20 years. And um, he is, uh, as you know, in last week we talked about the fact he'd been captured. He finally admitted uh, the, the final thing that kind of emphasized, at least from an outward appearance, why he had the strength that he did, that God had granted him the strength because of his hair. And it was cut, and you remember that in verse 22, it says, But the hair in his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And uh, remember, Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth until death. So the fact that his hair is now starting to grow back is uh, an indicator uh, that that God is going to uh, perhaps restore his strength. And uh, so uh, Samson is brought out and made sport of. You say, well, how do you perform when you're blind? Well, he wasn't singing. He wasn't a rock star. You know, he, he wasn't a, a thespian. He, he was, uh, basically, they were, they were making sport of his inability to see. And so um, scholars speculate that there might have been an obstacle course for him to try to go through or whatever. And it was funny for uh, the people to watch and see this man who had been um, a, uh, just a real royal pain to them over the, those years was now brought low and the irony of it is again Samson's biggest problem was the lust of the eyes and those eyes are gone you know and so that they, they continue to make sport of that it's interesting that they they choose the the god Dagon Dagon is an interesting choice for Philistines because uh, again most nations uh have their god and that's their god and and yet the philistines have traveled uh originally up in the adriatic sea uh have now come down uh in a variety of different ways and ended up along the coast of of uh, uh the the promised land or the and around gaza and in that general area and they have uh, chosen uh to worship a god that is a local god. Dagon is a local god. It's not their god from where they came from, which is kind of unusual and yet not necessarily all that unusual when you think about it. Because remember, gods from many uh, nations believed that the gods were located in specific areas and that was their territory. And other than that, they didn't travel. It was one of the unique things about Yahweh was that Yahweh did. Where did they meet Yahweh? Where where was the law given? Sinai. Where was Sinai? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 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 
not in the in the promised land. And so Yahweh travels with them and and sets up shop, if you will, in in a land which is highly unusual. Uh, but Dagon is a god that is uh, the patron deity of the area where the where the Philistines were. In fact, there are others around there. there remember, I've mentioned to you uh, there's a, uh, some tablets that are called U, uh, from a, a, a nation called Ugarit, and the Ugaritic ta- tablets talk about um, about Dagon and about uh, the son of Dagon. And uh, in the Old Testament, Dagon is always associated with the Philistines. We see it here. We see it again in 1 Samuel chapter 5 where they capture the ark and the ark is brought into the temple of Dagon. Remember that story? Yeah. And uh, the, the, you know, the next day they come in and Dagon is laid low in front of the altar and, and indicating that he is worshiping Yahweh. And, and, of course, the Philistines prop their god back up. And the next day they come in and Dagon's hands have been removed um, you know they, they and he is again prostrate uh, at the the feet of Yahweh's uh, ark. Uh, so Dagon is an is an ongoing uh, god of the area that apparently seduces, let's say, for lack of a better term, uh, the Philistines into worshiping him. Yet Dagon, interestingly enough, is the god of of uh, the grain. And sometimes considered the god of storms, which is interesting because that's often um, what uh, uh, Baal is known as. In fact, in some in some areas in that Middle East area, uh, Dagon is considered the father of of um, of Baal, or at least one of the Baals. Remember, there are multiple Baals, and uh, so uh, what is what did. What did Samson attack? What was the what was the area of the attack on the Philistines besides killing Philistines? What else did he do? He destroyed I'm sorry, destroys the fields and their grains. Who who was who the the god of grain? Dagon. Dagon won the won the battle according to the Philistines. He to, he they triumphed over. So of course they're taking him to Dagon's <laughs> temple, and of course they're going to celebrate because Dagon won the day. And so that's the that's the story of, and that's why Dagon is important. It's interesting again that it's 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 really unusual that. Um, that again, that a, a nation uh, defeats another in battle, and that reflects the superiority of their god. Their victor is their, their their god is the victor over the other gods, and so they they usually continue to worship that god. It's unusual that that the Philistines chose to go with Dagon. Interestingly enough, it's also unfortunate. But what is it that Israel team seems to keep doing? Neglecting their god. And going and worshiping others, or uh, what's it called, synecrity, where they bring in they bring in gods or parts of other uh, religions and blend it into theirs. And so they will continue to worship uh, Yahweh, but they become polytheistic at times. And uh, it's so that that's an, an unfortunate thing because again, that's what. God gets upset with him for, right? 
One of the last things that's interesting about uh, this, this first part of, of this ending of Samson is the fact that it isn't Israel that's the problem. It's Samson. And again, I point out to you that every other judge seems to raise up an army that we have much information about, and this is the one that doesn't. And so the you know the Israelites are pretty well cowered, uh, and and not paying attention, and not uh, and and not trying to irritate or aggravate the Philistines, but that's not the case with with, uh, with Samson. All right, so he's brought out to entertain. We've talked about that a little bit. Notice the prayer that he says, "O sovereign Lord." In verse twenty-eight, uh, that's really what that is. Is uh, Adonai uh, Yahweh? It's uh, uh, Lord uh, Yahweh. Yahweh is again the covenant name. Lord is cap all capitalized. So it's we know that he is now calling him. Previously, at times he refers to God as Elohim, but he calls him um, he calls him Yahweh at this particular point, and he says, "Remember." He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. And then he says, Oh, God, which would be oh, oh Elohim. Please strengthen me just once more and let me not with one blow get revenge on the Philistines because of all that they've done for, against Israel, right? Isn't that what it says? What's it say? Revenge. 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 And, and, and revenge against what? Against him for his yeah. eyes. Yeah. Is that you know? I, I realize that God, you know, God says in, in the law it says an eye for an eye. Is this overkill? <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah. Is this really what? Is this really God's plan? I don't know, but God uses it. God uses it to bring about His plan, doesn't He? Yeah. So it, it just seems kind of interesting. This seems like it's a last-ditch effort. You know, okay, Lord, just one more time. I need the, you know. And, and it isn't that he's trying to, uh, to, uh, to take care of a national emergency. It's all about him. It's all about me, Lord. It's not about you. I want revenge for my eyes. It, I, I, I look at this, and, and I see what, what I see is I see a, a self-centered person. It's all about me, and the me, you know, and it's been that way throughout the story. Remember, everything he does is because they did it to me, and so I'm going to do it back to them, which is, always works out well, right? <laughs> you ever noticed any battles, any uh, any peace ever been taken care of by doing this? Does it work out well? You know, what, what happened to the Allies in World War One? We make this huge. Uh, peace with Germany and then what do we do? We punish them like you would not believe. We make it virtually impossible for them to survive as a country and what happens? World War II happens. Hitler happens. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, there's always there's always repercussions when, when you are... What happened at the end of World War II when we won uh, against the Japanese? We helped them. We, 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 showed, we showed incredible, I don't know if we did this on purpose or not, but we showed incredible mercy to them. We helped them rebuild their, uh, 
their infrastructure. We did a lot of things. Have they, have they ever have they ever attacked us again? Have they ever caused? I mean, other than economically. <laughs> yeah, they came up with some interesting moves, right? All right. So it's it's interesting again that that he does not worry about Yahweh's name. He doesn't worry about Yahweh's reputation. He doesn't worry about what's going on with his nation. All he's worried about is himself. And I find it fascinating that God chooses to go, you know what? Okay, I'll give it to you one more time. Here's my strength. So my my takeaway of that is that is that God God's plan was to punish the Philistines for the way that they have been treating Israel. And so it works into God's plan. So God says, sure, why not? Now what are the, the and we know that the result of that is that Samson dies. He kills at least, I'm guessing, at least 3,000, perhaps more. In fact, as I was reading about their temples, their temples are made, uh, those pillars were not stone. They were made out of wood. Yeah, probably cedar. They probably came from Lebanon because that area of Palestine doesn't grow big trees. For whatever reason, cedars are, are one of the things that are found in uh, in, in the area of Lebanon, and, and Lebanon was known for, for its cedars. In fact, much of the, the wood that was used in this construction of the temple in Solomon's time is made out of cedar, cedar of Lebanon. So uh, he manages to get a hold of these pillars, and the, the Hebrew indicates that somehow or other he twisted them. I don't know if he pushed them over, twisted them, but whatever it was, it was dis- dislodged the ceiling and the ceiling crashes in there's 3,000 people on top of the of the uh, structure but there's also a whole host of people inside we're not told how many you know there are at least the five leaders of the Philistines and uh, and so we have we have uh, Samson winning uh, killing more people in his death than he did during his lifetime now, what I would say is there are a couple of things I take away from this. Samson is, uh, is not the kind of guy that we look to as an example on how to treat women. He's just not. Uh, and, and contrary to some of the rhetoric we hear today, this is not the norm for uh, biblical patricism. Uh, nor is it the picture of male-female relationships that God intended, in my, in my opinion. And so uh, we don't find him, we find him as a negative, a negative example versus a positive example. Another thing I find is the fact that uh, uh, those that are called into leadership uh, are tempted to operate on their own senses rather than on the principles that God lays down in his word. I've I've often filled out questionnaires from churches that have asked, "What is your greatest strengths?" And the leaders say, "What are your greatest weaknesses?" And I, I tend to tell them that my greatest strengths are my greatest weaknesses, because it is the strength that I have that I I rely on versus relying on God, and so often that's what causes me the problems is that I start to rely on my own strength, my own gifts and, and talents that I have versus going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your direction 
in spite of these talents you've given me, these abilities you've given me. And uh, so I just warn you that in leadership positions, remember, the principle is to rely on God, to seek his face and know his will, regardless of your situation, regardless of whether it's a, a spiritual leadership or a physical leadership in business or, or in your home. Um, remember that, that God is the one that should be directing our, our, our path. So, uh, and then thirdly, I would just say that um, that when we are called into some sort of leadership position in the church or in divine service, we need to remember to focus our energies on what God's agenda is versus on our agenda. Too often, we get there focusing on God's agenda, but once there, we get sidetracked with personal you know, vendettas and personal things that we want to do and take care of and right certain wrongs. It may be that it isn't God's plan for this point in time in our lives. So I would say that uh, the last thing I would say, the positive outcome of Samson's life is simply this, the fact that God uses him in spite of himself, not because of himself. Doesn't yeah. he also just, to me, what I get out of that is because yeah. I need this, is that uh, he doesn't give up he, he's, he goes for 20 years he does everything wrong and then at the end he says okay fine I'll do that again because I can use it for my well but yeah, yeah there's yeah there's a faithful to the Lord yeah there, there's a certain interesting aspect of that because you know we're talking about probably one of the most narcissistic persons in the Bible you know that we we listen I mean it's all about him everything everything he does is about him it's not about it, Advancing God's agenda. It's always about his agenda. Well, that's true. I was just going to say, it's the lack of leadership with the Israelites. Yes. And you think about, even though he was ordained and he was raised up, he still had all these choices. And unfortunately, because there was not strong leadership back then, including his father, yeah. He just became full of himself at times. Yeah. And I, I mean, not that I've ever done that either. But no, I know you've never done. I've, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you know, you, 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 that happens when you know whether it's a you know uh, how you were raised or certain skill set you might have, and you get confident over that skill set on whatever it is. And um, sometimes you believe, yes, God for, you know, gave me this, but the problem is I'm the one making these decisions, good or bad. Yeah. It's nothing about God. It's about what I'm going to do with the skill set and how I'm going to, you know. How can I use that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or for me. You know, and I'll give God the glory after I win. Yeah. But, yeah. Sure. I'm make sure I win. You know, it, 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 you know, his glory will be a footnote. You know, just just a footnote. I did this. God was yeah. and, and it's done, you know, very softly, very quietly. You know, we don't want to call a lot of attention to that. What what I find is, in thinking about what Rick mentioned here, you know, in spite of of Samson's wrong motives. God uses Samson to prove that it's not Dagon, but Yahweh that's truly the God of in this instance. And it's only God's grace that makes something positive come out of what I think is a pretty crappy life that, that Samson has. And in spite of everything Samson does, God exercises 
uh, his will, his ethical will, in spite of of Samson's immoral will, uh, that uh, you know Samson does it his way. God says, "Fine, I'll use that. I'll to to bring about my purposes," which I find. I, I think I find it happy, and, and I'm glad. But boy, it it does kind of make you wonder. How often do I screw up, and God says, "You know what? I can even use your screw ups, right. you know, to bring about my but glory." When you think of the the people, the Israelites at that point. Here they are, accepting pagan worshiping of whatever that is, Maybe because their God could party better than the Israel. <laughs> you know, sin was allowed in the camp. Yeah, and leadership. Uh, okay, we'll just, you know, what can we do? Samson's going to deliver, you know, so there was no army raised up, nothing like, yeah, no, no. Yeah. And, but they were okay with status quo. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. My, my, uh, my, my thoughts for us and how we apply this to ourselves would include things like, you know, the danger of self-interest. Um, you know, this is pretty much Samson. His spiritual apathy is truly, one writer says, is truly stupefying. <laughs> spiritual apathy concerning one's calling can lead to open rebellion. Think about that. When you're ap- apathetic about the calling that God has given you, whatever that calling might be in your life, it can lead to open rebellion. And when self-interest serves the mo- serves as the motivating factor in one's life, eventually you're going to find that disaster comes. I think it's interesting that sexual purity was never a major concern in Samson's life, and I think that it points out that often we, we struggle with, with sexual purity ourselves. You know, it's impossible to commit adultery without thought, without intent, without motive, and without disobeying God. Sexual sin doesn't just happen. It's a conscious decision to make that you make every time you do it. Whether it's the click of a button to go visit a porn site or whether it's to talk to a, a, a webcam girl, or whether it's to, you know, visit uh, a prostitute, or whether it's to have a sexual relationship with someone other than who you're married to. It's choice. It just doesn't happen. But how do we overcome that? How do we overcome things that become habits? Yeah, and I would. I find that when I start to get stagnant or whatever, I find that I'm not reading as much. I'm not, you know, pursuing as much. Um, because I'm busy, I've got all the excuses. I'm probably the best one with excuses of why I can't. Um, but it's, God's given us the written word, and He's very right with us the whole way. We just ourselves off sometimes because of 
things that get in the way? I think, I think for me, I, I think one of the things that I've found over, over my life is that the way that we get close to God is probably different for each of us. Some of us have a particular path that we travel, whether it's uh, scriptural, you know, reading the scripture uh, by ourselves, uh, maybe it's studying in a group, maybe it's uh, uh, spending some alone time out in, you know, in nature, uh, maybe it's spending time with friends. Um, for me, one of the ways that I get connected to God, and I find that when I'm not doing this, it's interesting how little... I get connected to God and how easy it is for me to drift and that is if I don't spend time worshiping him and for me the worship is uh, praise and uh, praise and worship music uh, even some of the old hymns uh, that I guess it's because of my background and maybe it's because of where my talents were for years was it in music is that that is where I connect to God my wife connects to God through through music, but also through gardening. She she's out in the garden and she's busy praying and connecting to God and doing things that are just you know for her. And so I think that one of the things we do is we we stop going to where we know that we're going to find God. We stop doing whatever it is. Maybe we get busy. You know, I find that if I spend time in worship, that I'm more inclined to want to read His Word for me. Now, it might be different for other people. I'm not saying, you know, and you've got to figure out what it is for you, how that works in your life. But there are going to be, there are going to be triggers and, and, uh, that are positive and triggers that are negative. And so, like Romans 12, 2 says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Spend time with God. And when I don't spend time with God, it is really apparent in my life. I become a major screw-up. So, as, as we end this, I just want to say this. In the end, God can be counted on to vindicate His name and to demonstrate that all those things that, hum, that humanity in whatever era worship and venerate are not God's, that He alone is God. That's what he does here with Dagon and with, with Samson when he brings down the house. All right. Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to say yeah. that our actions are, are a lot based on our thoughts. So if yeah. we have good thoughts and, 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 and uh, read the Bible and get closer to God, uh, our actions will be more as to God wants us. If we have evil thoughts... In, in our heart, in our mind, that we are more apt to do evil things, bad things. You're absolutely right. And what, why is that? Because the more you spend time with someone, the more you become like them. Yep. yep. I've told you the story. I'll tell it again. Like, you know, it, it's worth repeating. Not really, but it makes sense to me. I came home from school one year uh, uh, from Bob Jones, and, and I was singing a solo in our, in our church. And I had this older gentleman come up to me and say to me, he says, you study with Bill McCauley, don't you? And I go, yeah, as a matter of fact, Dr. McCauley is my, my vocal uh, teacher, my, my instructor, my coach. <clears throat> he says, I can tell. He says, I said, well, why is that, sir? He says, because, well, first of all, he's my son. And when I hear you singing, I hear him. 
why did I sound like Bill McCauley? So I spent a lot of time with Bill working on music and working on how to pr produce tones and, and how to shape words and how to shape thoughts and processes in when, I, when I was singing. And, and, I, and my mannerisms took on Bill's mannerisms, you know. And, and Bill's dad, who had joined our church, and I didn't know that when I came, you know, during the time I was away at school, he says, you, you sound just like Bill. It rubs off. And the time that you spend with God will rub off on you. And, and there's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus that talks about that very thing. Remember, Moses goes up to spend time with, with God on Mount Sinai. And when he comes down, what happens? His face is glowing. He's taken on the, the, the presence of God. It's a reflection. And what happens? All the people, oh, man, it's too bright. You know, I can't handle it. You know, he wanted to avail himself. Because he took on, he took on the attributes. He took on the, 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 the aura. He took on the, the, the types of attitudes that God had. You want to be like. You you want to get close to God? Spend time with Him. All right. All right. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about chapter seventeen with the time we have remaining. We're not going to get all the way through it, and that's okay. I didn't plan on it. Um. There's a, uh, a well-known Irish poet named Yeats who in one of his poems called The Second Coming talks about the fact that, th that things fall apart and the center cannot hold. And that's exactly what's happening here in the closing chapters of Judges as we find out the center cannot hold. Up until this time, for the first 16 chapters of Judges, we have seen... Uh, the stories of the of Israel failing in general, and then in specific, we've seen the judges that God has raised up in order to help redeem or deliver His people from the bondage that they were involved with with the nations. In these last five ch uh, chapters, 17 through 21, we're going to look at it from a different perspective. This time, we're going to look at it from the perspective of the people. We're going to look at, at some major areas. We're going to look at things, how they fell apart in the home, how they fell apart in ministry, and how they fell apart in society. These are going to be the three major things they're going to be looking at. So we're not going to be dealing with, with deliverers. We're going to be dealing with the consequences of there being no king, being no leader. Now... When they say that there is no, there was no, uh, in those days, uh, Israel had no king and every did, everyone did right, did that which was right in his own eyes or did what he saw was fit. The implication is not only just a physical king, but what else? What other kind of king? What, who was supposed to be the king of Israel? God. So who is not, at least as far as the Israelites are concerned, on the throne of the nation? God was not on the throne. God was not in control. God, they were not letting God rule. And the result of that is absolute destruction almost of the entire nation. But at certain times, we're going, to, we're going to read several things in these last five chapters. In these chapters, we're going to look at the fact that, um, that when there is no God, when they are not worshiping God and following God's rules and God's laws, God's way of life, God's Torah, 
that everyone does that which is right in their own eyes because they ignore the rule of God. Now, later on, they're going to ignore the rule of the king, too, that when they end up having a physical king. But in the beginning, they're going to try, they're going to say, oh, this is great, we have a king. Then they're going to repent of it a little later in years to come, as if we were to spend a little more time studying Samuel and, and uh, the kings and, uh, and chronicles. All right, so uh, what I'd like to do... Um, is, um, well, I'll give you a couple other things just in general over these next five chapters, some thoughts, and then I'm going to, I'd like to do is I'd like to read the Judges uh, 17. Probably could read all the way through Judges 18, but we won't. We'll just, we'll start with Judges 17. And then I'm going to take you to another passage and see some comparisons. So, first of all, the moral failure of both the Levites and the tribal leaders enforced the, the, the significance of the refrain, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Because the Levites fail, the tribal leaders fail, and these two sources of national leadership uh, help to uh, encourage the downward spiral already portrayed in this book. Their dereliction of duty not only stresses the complete failure of Israel to adhere to uh, to the theocracy that, that God has established, but specifically the covenant that God has established. And perversion in relationship with God represented by the idolatry leaves no other relationship uh, who whole either. It doesn't matter whether it's between individuals, between groups, of individuals between races or between nations, the fact that you go down this, the, the, the path to idolatry means that every other relationship in your life is affected. Think about it today. What is it that we place above God in our lives? What is first and foremost? If it's not God, it's something. And if something takes the place of God as first in your life, that is your idol. Whether it's your job, your family, your cottage, your vacation condo, your boat. My wife told me recently that she just finally discovered what she believes is to be our, our next ministry. She thinks that we need to minister to boat people. And she wants us to buy a boat and to do, boat, and to do services out on the boat on the lake. There's a group that does that. I know there is. Yeah, yeah. I told her that. It, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so far, I, I've not been convinced that that's God's plan because I don't know that I want to buy a boat. But anyhow, she says, well, you know, it'd be really good. <laughs> so it will affect how we respond to people. What is it that becomes the idol of our lives? What is it that takes God's place as first in our lives? And the result of that is you can see how that's going to affect every other relationship you have. It doesn't matter what it is. If your job is first, it's going to affect your family. If your family's first, it's going to affect your job. I can remember I had, uh, when I was first married, I was working in the family business. And I became uh, goal-oriented that I was going to be the best at what we did. And I was going to go after the largest accounts in the Detroit area, and I was going to make a name for our company and specifically for myself. 
And I did that to the point of almost driving my wife away from me because I was so focused on it. I wasn't focused on anything else. Church, family, didn't matter. Nothing, nothing came first other than business. And I almost lost my, my wife as a result of that. So I, I know from personal experience, I know, what it can hit, I know what it can do to your life. So we're going to look at, again, we're going to look at Judges chapter 17. Just get started. We're going to, uh, we're going to read the verses. I think I left off with me, with me and Tom, and then we'll go over around the room again until we finish uh, chapter 17. So now, a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about uh, which I heard you utter a curse. I have the silver with me. I took it. And then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. I read two verses. All right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Two verse three. Uh, then he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I consecrate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make an idol of cast metal. So he returned the silver to his mother. Took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to a silver who made them into an image in the idol. They were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made invite him and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man in Bethlehem in the field, who found him too. He was a Levite and was staying. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn, where he could find a place, and he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. Micah asked him, Where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem, Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said, Go with me and be my father and, and priest, and give me ten shepherds. So the Levite agreed to live with them, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the, the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since the Levite has become my priest. All right, we're going to read over in chapter. Uh, 18, we're going to find that uh, Dan, the tribe of Dan, decides that they're going to uh, relocate. They don't like the place that they're at in the land where God assigned them their territory. So they decide they're going to go someplace else. And then in, in the process of doing that, they come upon Micah's uh, priest and his idols, and they steal his idols, take the priest, and they go up to the northern part of Israel and it reestablished themselves up there in the northern part of Israel. That's, that's what happens. Now, just for sake of argument, let's take a look at and let's see what God has to say as to what you're supposed to do. Let's see. I want to pick up. Uh, here we go. All right. This is in Deuteronomy. If you want to check it out, check out Deuteronomy chapter 12 with me, and I'll read it. Deuteronomy 12, starting in verse 1. 
These are the decrees and the laws you must, careful, you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, Yahweh, uh, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are disposing worship their gods. Break down their idols, their altars, and smash their sacred stones and burn their ashtoreth poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all of your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts that you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of Yahweh your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Yahweh your God has blessed you. You are not to do as they do, as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance of the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as his dwelling place for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your special gifts and all the choice possessions you have vowed to Yahweh. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons, your daughters, your males and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only in the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want as if it were a gazelle or deer according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you both ceremonially clean unclean and clean may eat of it but you must not eat the blood pour it out on the ground like water you must not eat uh, in your own towns the tithes of your grains and the new wine and olive oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks, or whatever you have vowed to give, or your freewill offerings, or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God in the place the Lord your God will choose. You and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns. And you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. But be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territories as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I, will, I would like some meat, you may eat as much as you like as you want. If the place uh, where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter the animals from the herds and the flocks the Lord has given you. As I have commanded you, in your own towns you may eat as much as, of them as you want. Eat them in, as you would a gazelle or deer." Both ceremonially unclean and clean may eat. But be sure you do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life, and you must not eat the life with the, the meat. You must not eat 
the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it so that it may go well with you and your children after you because you will do, be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Make your, make, uh, but take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both meat and blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, and you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all the regulations I have given you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of Yahweh your God. And Yahweh your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispose. But when you have driven them out and settled in the land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because uh, in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire, as sacrifices to their gods. See that you do all I command you and do not add or take away from it. How are they doing in chapter 17 of Judges? Yeah. Are they are they are they following any of the commands of this chapter? Not a one. We, we, we struggle with, you know, God's giving you a clear plan. This is what you're supposed to do. And we're going, yeah, not so much. I'll do whatever I want. Because what I have to do is more important than what God has, has for me to do. Do you notice the whole issue about blood? Pour out the blood, don't, don't drink it. Why is that? Because there's life in the blood. Yeah. Does it actually point towards Jesus? Well, uh, perhaps, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. But the blood, the the issue of the blood becomes a matter of the fact that that's where the life is, and also many of the pagan worships worship experiences involve the drinking of blood. If you remember, what are what is the uh, one of the few rules and regulations that the the church in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council give to the Gentiles that they are not to do? That's one of them, and the other one is don't drink the blood. It's uh, from uh, Acts, uh, among other things, Acts fifteen. You could also, present day, relate that to the abortion issue, too. Well, the burning, it's interesting. I made this observation a number of years ago, and I got a lot of grief from certain sectors of society. 
When we talk about the burning of children, which is what many of the Canaanites did, they sacrificed their children to idols, and specifically Molech was one of them that they would uh, sacrifice their, their firstborn to. Uh, they would burn them in the fire. Do you know one of the ways that you abort children? It's not the only way that they do it, but one of the ways they do it is with a saline solution. You know what happens when you use a saline solution on a, on a newborn? You burn them. Chemically burn them. So basically, we're, we're doing exactly what the Canaanites did. Yeah. yeah, I got in trouble with certain circles when I mentioned that. Didn't appreciate didn't appreciate my comments. Well, this is, the, this is the pagan way of doing it. What can I tell you? I like Chardina, though. What's that? Chardina. I don't know what that is. Polish. Oh, blood, blood sauce? Yeah, I like, yeah, I do too, yeah. As a, as a kid, I, I grew up on, I didn't remember what it was called. Chardina. Chardina, which is blood sausage. Take the drippings of... Make soup. Make soup, yeah. Yeah, blood soup. It's good. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Doesn't sound good, but <laughs> tastes okay. All right, so uh, we're we're at kind of at the end of the of our time here. But I just wanted to point out to you: this is what you're going to see in, in in Deuteronomy 12 verses Judges 17 and 18 and following. Is that you're going to find the everything that they were told not to do, they did. They made idols. They created places of worship other than where God told them to make it. They decided they weren't going to take the land that they wanted. Dan decides they're going to go someplace else. Uh, why? Because, well, and they're going to ask a guy who is a Levite, and, they, and apparently the, the nation is not taking care of the Levites because this Levite's looking for a job. By the way, he also ends up becoming a, very much a mercenary. He sells himself out for whoever will give him the most money. Yeah, it, it says young Levite, and you have to be 30 years old to be a at least 30 to be a priest. Yes, to be a priest, yeah. yeah. In order to serve in the temple, you had to be at least 30. And then you're, you're done by, was it 50 or something like that? You only have a certain number of years. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. All right, good. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go. Father, thank you for uh, guiding and directing our lives. We realize that so often... We put everything in front of who you are and what you are, and we, t we take care of you, if at all, as second, third, fourth class. It's not real, you're not really often real high on our list, and for that we ask for your forgiveness. Help us to realize that uh, you need to be first and foremost in our lives, and when that happens, that uh, many of the problems that we encounter uh, will be solved by simply making sure that you are uh, the one that we worship and you are the one that we serve. We pray that you will help us this day to, um, to serve you with all of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.